to teach you a subject uh, that I, I don't have a lot of skin in the game in yet. Like, I literally newly smell like being married. Like, if you know like how a baby smells when they first get pushed out? That's how I smell, right? So the topic that I'm going to be talking about today, um, I'm going to talk from the perspective of being a child. I'm, I'm going to talk from the perspective of, by the grace of God, having really great and really awesome parents, right? And I know that that's not everybody's testimony, but through today's sermon, I already feel it. I got goosebumps. Through today's sermon, it's going to, I'm, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will begin to like literally deconstruct our thinking of thinking that if we didn't have a good a good mom, a good dad, a good teacher, a good person to support us, that that really doesn't matter. Like you gotta, you know, have your heart posture right to be able to forgive and reconcile them. But just because you didn't have a mom in the house that, that you saw in your head, doesn't mean that God is wanting you not to reach purpose. Okay, just because you didn't get the education that you think you need in order to do the job that you think you need to do, that doesn't dismiss you from the purpose that God gave you. Just because you don't know your father's, I feel the Holy Ghost on this thing already. Just because you don't know your father, you don't even know what the man smells like. Somebody could show you a picture of him and he could walk past you while you're doing your shopping and you wouldn't even know him from Adam. God wants us to understand, regardless of what you're going on in your life, regardless of how broken your relationships are, regardless of how broken you think, keyword, you think your family is, it does not dismiss you from the assignment that I gave you. Look at your neighbor, say, do with what you got. You're in the perfect family. You're in the perfect business. You got the perfect friends. You should be able to reach purpose if God never gives you anything else. Because the old folks used to say, like, if God never gives me another thing, he's already done too much. If God... If he never says another word, I already got what I need. So if you got your mom and a dog, that's all you need. If you got your mom, a dog, and a cat, that's all you need. If you got your father and a son, that's all you need. If you're sitting in your house by yourself 50 and God gave you a word in 78 that you were supposed to be married and you're not married yet, that's all you need. So I just want to make sure that you understand we're going to allow the word of God to be the foundation today. We're, we're, we're going to allow this book that was written to be the foundation. I know that you don't want to hear it from me. I wore a suit to make y'all happy, but I wore sneakers to make myself feel okay. All right, you know what I'm talking about? So we're going to really dive into the word. Is that cool? All right, let's do it. So I'm going to give you my title here in a second, but look at your neighbor online. Look at your neighbor in the room and say that relationships matter. Relationships matter. Now, I don't know about you, but um, if you're a parent and you have more than one child, usually the, the, the first one that you pop out, or if God didn't grace you with that ability, the first one that they cut out and take out, <laughs> uh, that, that ends up being your strong-willed child. The strong-willed child usually butts head with a specific parent because the parent sometimes thinks that that child is being rebellious or getting on their nerves. But nine times out of ten, the characteristic traits of the strong child are actually the ones that they used to demonstrate when they were little. So when, 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 we as, when, when we as kids begin to give you lip, because I'm the strong-willed child, um, when we begin, well, there's, there's two of us. Callie's more strong-willed than I, than I am, but I came out first, so I got four years extra time to, you know, get, you know, get, my, get my, uh, my, my bottom soft, as they would say. Um, but the strong-willed child, most of the time, will begin to act in the character and the likeness of the parent. So you'll butt heads with that child because they're just like you. Sometimes it can almost feel spiritually that since you were made in the character and the likeness of Christ that you can be wrestling with him sometimes. Because we're the same. I'm a strong-willed child. You, you, you created me to be purposeful. So in our relationship, I'm the strong-willed child. And my mom, we have like some of like the same characteristic traits. And in this time in COVID, um, we're, we're learning how to lead together. We're learning how to like do father, um, I'm sorry, mother and son. Like it's a different season. Like what she used to do for me at three is different now at 27, married with a house and a mortgage and a car and all this other stuff, right? So she can't, I can't expect for my mom to treat me like the mother that I needed at three. And she can't expect for me to respond like I am at three. If we do that, we have incongruency. Right. If, if we do that, if you talk to your 27, your 28 year old, how you did when you first saw them, they're going to think a couple of things like, why are you babying me? I'm, a, I'm grown. Now, I understand. Let's get the elephant out of the room. My baby will never be grown. Yeah, that's to you. But your baby is grown. Right. So being the strong willed child, there, there's a song that my mom would sing all the time. And, and you guys might know it. It says, for the nine months I carried you growing inside of me, no charge. And it's just like as a kid. Every time that I would ask her to do something, she would start singing that song. Like, hey, mom, um, can we go to che Chuck E. Cheese for the nine months I carried you? Mom, can I get this extra bread so I can get the new helmet for the football practice for the nine months I carried you? No charge. And it began to create not animosity, but there was friction here because there were multiple times when I would tell her, like, I didn't ask to be here. 
Like you, you can't charge me for something I didn't ask for. And sometimes in our lives and our families, we're asking God, like, why are you making me pay the price for something that I didn't, I didn't pray for this. No parent has a child in hopes that they get addicted. No, oh my God. No, no, no child makes the decision. You know what? As soon as I come into the earth, I'm going to run away from home. I'm going to create turmoil. I'm going to create this terrible situation at the house, right? Like with the way that I am, I don't literally walk into my mother's office as we're leading, as she's helping me learn how to lead this church and I'm co-leading with her. I don't walk into her office with the mindset like, Pastor Linnell, I don't like the way that you lead. No, but when we have misconception. And when we miscommunicate between us, the place where you're supposed to lay your head can be a place that you try to run away from. So the place where you're supposed to be able to put yourself back together at the house, you try to figure out what are some different ways that I can spend the only time at the house is eating and sleeping. Because I don't feel like I'm being put together at the crib. Can somebody say hallelujah? So here we go. So when we look at this thing called education, I don't know, uh, right there in the chat, um, uh, what's your highest level of education? Or what are you hoping for? What are you aspiring for? Like, is it, I want to get my bachelor's, I want to get my master's. If you're a high school student during COVID, you're like, I just want to graduate, doc. Like, I, I, trust me, I don't, I don't understand where you are, but I can kind of get where you're coming from. Like, we understand that with education, there are certain levels and certain tests that you have to pass before you get to the next grade. Yes, and if you don't pass those tests, and if you don't do well on your exams, what happens? They hold you back. So let, let's talk about them. When it comes to our education, there is a specific amount of time that you have to spend on average in order to get your degree, right? In high school, it's four years. But did you guys know that when it comes from K through 12, so from the time that you send them off with their book bag that's bigger than them, you know, when they're walking like this and their backpack goes all over the place, to the time that they graduate high school, your child will spend up to 18,720 hours. That's the average. That's in the class. That's not studying, that's not reading, that, that, that's, not, that's not going to the library, that's not studying for the ACT. That means that 18,000 hours they're spending in a classroom, somebody telling them what to do. If you want to go to the next level, which is the bachelor's degree, you're going to spend an additional 5,760 hours in the classroom. Now, how many of you guys know that at that level, you are spending a lot more time in the library than you did K through 12? The books that you used to poo-poo on when you were in 12th grade, now you're spending that bread and you're clinging on to it because it becomes your Bible. Amen. The next level that we understand, if you want to get a master, somebody say master's. A master's degree is an additional 2,880 hours. Now, I can't add it all up in my head. I'm not Rain Man, and sometimes I have dyslexic tendencies, but that's a lot of time. This is the average, which means that if you want to be average, this is the minimum you got to do. So if you want to be the summa cum laude or you want to be the person that like is like at the highest level, this should not be your mark. You got to spend more time. Then if you want to get a PhD, somebody say glory. For all of you that are online right now, and I see you, Kim, she's shouting over here. For all of you that are here that are on this track, I pray that God would keep you and God would watch you. Because look at how much time that it takes. For your PhD, it takes twice as much time to do the work in a PhD than it does a master's. Almost to say that the next level that you are exposed to is going to require more learning from you. Then if you want to become a master at something, that, that's cool. But what if you want to become the doctor? And I mean like the literal sense of the doctor, right? Like I think, no, I ain't going to go. I think a lot of people put doctor in front of their names to get their respect, but they haven't really figured out the knowledge that they need to get those letters. But now I digress. We'll talk about that later. Look at your neighbor and say, we'll talk about that later. later. Zoom in. Say, we'll talk about that later. I'm not coming for you. We're, let's get back to the board. All right. You're a good class. Let's talk about med school. Med school, it takes an additional 10,080 hours. T 10, how many? 10,080 hours on average just to be an average PhD. So that means that if you really want to be the person, like if the person that I want to be doing heart surgery on me, if that ever comes to it, which I pray by the grace of God, it'll never happen. I rebuke you, de demon, and all that other stuff, right? Like, but like if there's ever anybody that need to do brain surgery on me, if this is how many hours they completed, I'm not going to the hospital. The higher that number becomes... The more hours that this, that this number increases, the more I'm going to begin to trust them. And the funny thing, somebody say continued edu education. When you get into your doctorate, and once you get your doctorate, they have this thing called continued education, which means that the 10,080 hours that you did to get your degree won't be enough to sustain you in your field. 
which means that you're going to have to be a lifelong learner to keep going. So they basically say, glory to God. Even though we gave you this cord, even though we gave you this ribbon, even though we moved your tassel over, you got the degree, but you still are wet behind the ears. That's why they call it a practice because I'm continuously getting better. But what happens in parenting when we get to 18 and we move the tassel and we kick them out of the house? But wait a minute. I thought you said that we need additional hours in order to do it better. So that means that it's impo- if it takes at least 25 years for somebody to get a doctorate degree to cut you open, why don't we use the same amount of time to measure how long you should be parenting to produce good kids? I am preaching this morning. How can you say I only need 18 hours to make Riley into the best beautiful woman that she's going to be. If I have to go back to the, if I have to go back to Pastor Martin every Saturday for him to take my doctrine and rip it apart and pour oil over me and pour blood over me and tell you you were dead wrong when you said that. You can't say that. That's not biblical. If I have to go to this man and allow him to rip me up piece by piece, then why don't we think that at 18 we can kick our kids out? Now, there are some of you that are watching. Your testimony is that you were 12. Some of you, you don't even know who your people are. You, you were adopted. Some of you were in a household where you were beaten and there was something that happened to you sexually and mentally and spiritually. So like you're all jacked up on the inside, but God still says, I really don't care about how it started. It does not disqualify you from the purpose that I put in your heart. So we'll start to look at people's education rather than the suffix in front of their name. Dr. Joshua Williams, why? Because I went to two years and found the most demeaning degree so I can get out of here in time? No, 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 no. If I'm going to get a PhD, it's going to be in something that advances God's purpose in my life. Look at your neighbor and say, it takes more time. In total, you can spend as much as 29 years in school or 41,000 hours, but even that is less than 10% of all of the learning you will have in your life being a lifelong learner. The human brain's function, according to Dr. Casper, Dr. Casper is a neuroscientist who literally studies the brain after the person dies. So the minute that the person dies, by the permission of the patient, he cuts their brain open and he studies the last parts of their brain that are firing. Did you know that before you pass away, at the minute that you take your your last breath, the left side of your brain is going crazy. It's the creative part of who you are. Dr. Casper would almost bring in theory that when you die, the the most cerebral parts of your brain, the most deepest parts of your brain begin to respond to the God that they're going to now. So that means that there is no, there's, there's, there's no level of where you stop being a student. You never stop being a husband. You never stop being a wife. I didn't get married and stop being a son. I didn't, I didn't get married and then stop being a student to Pastor Martin. What I did is I ended up stacking my degrees so that when people start to look at my life, what I say and what I do doesn't speak as long as I put this work in. Look at these 41 hours and tell me I'm not an expert. So when it comes to parenting, let's talk about the average amount of time that you have to give your kids in order to produce average children. What I say? Average children. Proverbs 22 and 6 says what? Direct your, child, your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not what? Leave it. If you teach them the right thing, they won't depart. But when we look at this, when we look at this scripture, we're reading it incorrectly. Because up until this point, in the Hebrew faith, in the Jewish religion, your child shouldn't have to be taught the word of God. It's their responsibility to go to the scrolls themselves. What they're talking about here in the Hebrew, I'm going to break this thing all the way down so that we can deconstruct every single person that is having issues in your home. God wants freedom for you today, and I'm hoping that he can give it to you, right? Through the word. When we say that, when we begin to look at the word, it says direct your children onto the right right path, and when they are older, it says that we are supposed to teach our children the pathology of our lives. Do you know what the study of pathology is? Pathology means that if my great-great-granddaddy was a drunk, then I may never drink ever in my life. But the tendencies of my great-great-grandfather are still living in me. Glory to God. If my great-great-great-great-grandmother used to embezzle money, and now I'm struggling with how to put my bread together, if you never tell me the pathological reason of why it happened, 
I will stray from the path because I don't know. So in church, a lot of the reasons why we have these children that are going astray isn't because they don't know God. It's because they don't know where this inner sin is coming from. I don't want to watch pornography. I don't want to drink. I don't want to smoke. I didn't come into the earth at two years old and say, you know what? I'm going to live the next 15 years of my life driving my parents to drink, and my mom's going to commit suicide. I mean, she's not going to, like, put a gun in her mouth, but she's just going to check out. Like, no child does that. But if I could tell you, hey, this is what runs in our family, and I beat the demon, but it's going to come and visit you in a new form. So you got to use some different weapons because the ones that I use killed it, but it's evolved. Glory to God. If we begin to talk to our sons and our daughters and our grandkids about what happened generations before we wouldn't lose so often somebody say what is the average you can't expect for your children to understand your family history in one day of thanksgiving and another day at christmas and another day at birthdays because if you got to be in school for almost 5,000 hours just to get an average education in high school how much more time must you sit in the presence of your family to understand why you look at alcohol and you really can't fight or you can't beat it Because then we teach these messages where we say, like, you are the heal of the Lord. Great is he, on the, the greater is he that, is that is in you than he is that is in the world. But greater is he that is in that cup than he that is inside of me. So if you put Jack in a cup, yes, I know God, but I'm going to keep picking this thing up and drinking it. And then I'm going to think it's my fault. But you never told me where the itch came from that I keep trying to scratch. Somebody say mercy. Some of the things you're annoyed with with your children about, they've never handled before. My son's a liar. That's like to say that he's been doing this and he has 10,000 hours of being a liar. He's four. Your son's never dealt with this before. Why do we talk to children as if they got a PhD? Talk to them as they're in kindergarten. When your son lies to you, do you really think that they are surrendering their behind to endless butt whoopings because they like it? No. It's because of the fact you didn't tell him or her that your daddy was somebody that used to lie to you all the time. Then you got to beat it. But now your son or your daughter is being introduced to the same demon that came to you and you beat. You got to teach them. Everybody has demons that visit them at nighttime, but some of us had parents that told us how to and then roll over, turn the pillow over to the cool side and take our behind to sleep. How dare I feel anxious in my own bedroom? This is my bedroom at five years old. You didn't pick the colors on this wall. You didn't put Carmen. I'm dating myself. I'm dating myself. I know. The riot tour. My dad took me. We got the whole leather jacket. You know what I'm talking about? Carmen. The old music video. We'll talk about it later. DC Talk. Y'all remember that? Donut Man. Lamb Chop. McGee and Me. 321 Penguins. VeggieTales. Elder Butler, where you at? You, you know what I'm talking about? They did not give us the opportunity to watch other things that would feed us until we got full of the things of God. I want your diet and your palate to be so sustained to the word of God that when the path has two paths, when you have to make a decision, you make your own path called the will and you trailblaze for yourself. I know this is good. I know this is good. When parents don't plan for, protect for, and believe in their children, they leave them with no other choice but to fend for themselves. When you give up on your children at 50, well, he's grown now, you've now made them revert and go backwards. Because just like degrees, how you stack them, Pastor Martin's father lived to, the, to, to, to an age. Let's say it's 56 years or 60 years, 50 years, right? Then my dad is still alive, so I get to add his years on top of that. And then guess what happens? I get to add my years on top of that. If I tell my son when I have him, Vanessa, I know you might be watching. I give honor to you. I love you because it's coming, right? When we have my son, if I disown him, I have now forfeited his ability to glean from the knowledge of our lineage. When my parents are dead and gone, I'm still going to be able to go to the library and have conversations with them because I'm still in the will of God for my family's life. When you choose not to do family together, you cut yourself off from eternal knowledge. That, I, can't, I, got, I, can't, I can't get stuck. I can't get stuck. I can't get stuck. I can't get stuck. So I, I want to look at the Hebrew word for the word family. In, in, in English, we usually have one word for something that is defined. In the Japanese language is 140 words for the word love. 
There's love that you have for trees and love that you have for elders. There's love that you have for people that you've fallen out of love and gained love back. Because we understand something. Words are not, they're not just descriptive and linear. Like they're, they're, they're dimensional and they have depth. So in the Hebrew, this word called mashpacha, I know I, I spit all over my screen, but you're not here, so don't worry about it. COVID, coronavirus, I get it, right. Mashpacha is the word family. So when we look at the word family, in the word, family means a couple of different things. And there are different principles that I want us to write down before I, I get into like the text. In the, in the Hebrew faith, family means to be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 1.28. Family means to honor your parents and respect your children, Exodus 20 and 12. Family means a newly married couple should take a year off. In the, Jew, in, like in the Jewish religion, once you get married, they realize that if you have done it correctly and you're the right people, you're going to have to need a year just to try to figure out what the heck are we doing. So we're not going to demand you to produce if you're still trying to heal from being together. The fourth thing that they talk about is that the wife's rights are as important as the husband's, Exodus 21.10. The plan was never for family to be done alone. And it was never meant for family to be doing it without solid foundation. So let's paint the picture from the word of God. And I know that for a lot of you, the Pew results say that at least 70% of you that are watching right now, what I'm about to describe, which is the word of God, is not your situation, which is okay. It's fine. The whole entire book of the Bible is people that kept screwing up and trying to get it right. So you're in good hands. You're all right. You'll be okay. What we understand is that it's supposed to be a whole man, a whole woman, their hundred and hundred percent come together to make what? A hundred percent. Then from their love, their unity, and their agreement, children are born. If you're a male, you go out and find, you, you, have, you stick with your people, you find a wife, you grab her, you bring her under the covering. If you're a daughter, you never leave the covering and you allow the men in your life to point them out. You never leave from underneath. They bring him in. That's the perfect picture of God. But how many of you guys know that some of our pictures are distorted? There are a lot of people that are watching right now, just like when my mom was saying for the nine months, and I would say this. I'm like, like uh, you, you would say this. We, I didn't ask to be here. How many of you in your homes right now are asking that question? I didn't ask to be here. I didn't ask to have a son that I can't bear to look at. I, I didn't ask, as Pastor Martin can say, because remember, I'm not speaking from my experience of being married. I'm newborn, but Pastor Martin talked about it. Like, I didn't ask to marry somebody that I don't even want to be, like, touch. I didn't ask for this. But how many of you know that that question is being posed on both sides? Today, we're going to talk about parenting, and that's the title of my message. The message today is called, We Didn't Ask to Be Here. The stage in life that you're in in your family, even if, you, if it's going according to plan, sometimes you can be sitting there racking your head and scratching that bald spot in the back of your head and asking God, like, we didn't ask to be here. So can we jump into the word? Here we go. Point number one. Look at your neighbor and say, there is no commandment for when parenting should end. You cannot find it scripturally in the word of God. Zoom in on my face, all of you parents. There is nowhere in the world that justifies you kicking out your child at any age. There's nothing in the word of God where you get to get to the finish line and be like, man, I ran a good race in doing this parenting thing. Once he gets married, doesn't mean you're not a dad anymore. Once she goes out and sleeps with somebody and has a baby out of wedlock, you don't get to throw her away. Okay, let's talk about it. Once he gets addicted to marijuana, heroin, crack cocaine, and, like, and then he's in jail for forever and he's going through rehab, you don't get to take your, your, your parenting badge off and give it to the people at the rehab and now they're his parents. That's, that's not how this works. Because God, when we went to hell before, because remember, when Adam fell, we all went to hell with him, right? God didn't take off his fathering hat and just allow the devil to be our parent. It says that when Jesus died, that he, that literally the earth opened up. He went to hell and talked to us, grabbed the keys, and brought our dominion back. So if Jesus himself cannot just be father, can't just be son, and can't just be Holy Spirit, but he has to be all three, you can never not be a parent. And I can never not be a child. I always have to have covering. Look at your neighbor and say, I always have to have covering. Point number two, let's jump into this. Now, we talk about Genesis 126, but I'm going to bring you a different perspective from it that I'm really hoping that God will teach you today and that you won't hear me, but you'll see him. Amen? Here we go. Point number two. Somebody say, parenting was never meant to be done alone. Parenting is impossible without the presence of God. Now, I'm going to break this down. I'm not talking about the presence of God like foaming at the mouth and speaking in tongues. What I'm saying is it is impossible to be 
according to the word of God, which is the scriptural part of being a kingdom citizen and being a parent, you cannot be a parent without Jesus in your home. It's impossible. You cannot create excelling children that are getting right standing with God and in their purpose without Jesus in the home. If you're walking through your crib and you see Jesus walking through your house and you're shocked, you might need to reintroduce your kids to this man a little bit. He shouldn't be a stranger in your home. It shouldn't be awkward when you start to pray. It shouldn't be weird when that alarm clock goes off at 6 because our family serves and we're there for 7.30 and we're praying before we start our service at 8.30, before the doors open at 10. Then we're there later until 2 or 3 o'clock because our family are Levites. That's why it's so important that if you're a Levite, you have to marry a Levite because if you don't, they'll think that you're giving all of your time to the church that you said to God, I'm never going to leave. You're always at the church. You knew what it was when you married me. Vanessa forfeited her right to ever tell me to come home early on Sunday because she knew who she was marrying. By the grace of God, I married somebody who also wanted to give their heart to Christ. So we have to understand that this thing called, fair, that called family, when it comes to parenting, parenting starts with picking the right mate. You can't produce good kids if you don't have somebody that you want to actually like be with after you're with them. I feel a chill. I feel a pull. I feel you pulling on me. Here we go. Parenting was never meant to be done alone. Now let's jump into the good book of Genesis 3. The reason why we keep going to Genesis 3, and if you are a kingdom teacher and you do not reference Genesis every time that you teach, I question your kingdom pathology. Because Genesis is the only perfect thing that we are ever supposed to teach. Genesis is also the thing when I got ordained that I promised that man over there that to the day that he's dead and I meet him again in heaven, my point is to teach from Genesis. The most perfect book of the Bible where God was everything and we were with him. Sometimes in your family, you got to reset to a point that didn't come from your mouth but came from the paper. Genesis 3.8. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to them and to, called to the man and he said, what? Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. Yeah, you've always heard me. But as children, your footsteps advancing to our door, we can tell what type of energy you bring in. Which means that Adam knew when he bit the fruit that he was wrong. His eyes were open that it was wrong, but he knew in his heart, I'm from God, so I shouldn't be doing this. Another sermon for another day. He says, where are you? Then he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I what? I hid. I was afraid I was naked. Listen to what God says. God says, who in the world told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Then man replied, underline this, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Let, let me bring something up for the for the. Uh, the plaintiff, right? So that we're going we're gonna to bid on this. You marrying the wrong person does not disqualify you from the purpose that God has in your life. And I'm going to preach from my own experience. If I don't answer the call that God put on my life and the thing that I submitted to Pastor Martin and I blame Vanessa by the kingdom mandate based off of King David, King David told his son what to do and how to follow the will of God. King David told his son Solomon, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And he said in the Torah, in the scroll, that they don't put in this book, that they don't put in all the other derivatives. He said, if you do, so help me God, I will come back to life and kings will bear with their swords. With my sword, behead you and be the king and find somebody else. King Jesus really doesn't care about who you marry because his purpose for you doesn't change. The path to it may alter, but the goal remains the same. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what does he ask her? What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she said, which is true. That's why I ate it. When you sin, when we fall out of relationship with Christ, we miss out on the vital resources of being good people. When you are not in the presence of God, when praying makes you uncomfortable, when lifting your hands in this place makes you anxious, it is impossible for us to believe that you're good at being a parent or being a good person 
That's all across the board. That's what the word of God says. You cannot do anything outside of the will of God without him putting the desire on the inside of you to do right. We are, we are, we're sinful people. We're dirty. We can't even think with our own brains to do right. God has to put the desire on the inside of us. How do you have a good desire when you don't really know who you are or where you came from? The point of not doing it alone isn't to do it with other people that are parents. The point of not doing it alone is to not forfeit the presence of God in your marriage before you have children or even afterwards. Because the cool thing about it is that even if your children are 45, 50, or 60, or if they passed away because of something that has happened, you can rekindle the flame of kingdom in your life. Doesn't matter how old they are. Doesn't matter where they come from or what happened in your family. You don't have to do it alone forever. Somebody needs to type that out in the chat. Like, we don't got to do this alone forever. And I'm watching you, so I got proof, right? Like, we, we don't have to do this parenting thing alone. And God never wanted you to. But we made it a rule for ourselves. Point number two. Parenting. Parenting is only as good as the tools that are used. Why didn't you say available, Joshua? Pastor Josh, why didn't you say parenting is only as good as the tools that are available? Because people walk into churches every single Sunday and watch them online, and the tools are available, but they're not walking in freedom. So the presence of wisdom, the presence of truth, the presence of knowledge is great, but if you do not apply it, if you don't actually grab hold of these kingdom concepts, chew on them, digest them, and sit with them, and then try to replicate and fail, replicate and win, replicate and fail, replicate and win, replicate and fail, evolve, try it again, try it, fail, try it, fail, try it, fail, do it again. Like, if you don't try to actually work the faith that God gave you, it will remain deceased. That's why parenting is only as good as the tools that are used. Genesis 3.16, listen to this. Then he said to the woman, this is God. I will what? Sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will what? Rule over you. So this conversation in parenting of who's the head of the household, by the scripture, it's supposed to be the man. But when, she, when they fail, Adam wasn't the only one that fell. She fell as well. And God literally changed her heart to try to be in a place that she was never supposed to be. Because that's what she did when she ate the fruit. She basically said, God, I want to be like you. She's like, okay, I'm going to put you in this place where you are perpetually trying to lead your husband in a way that he can't go. And then I'm going to create animosity between you and this woman so that, Adam, everything you try to do will be deconstructed by the woman that you're with. Verse number 17. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and not me. That's not in there, Pastor. But I added it. Since you, it's in there. So he said it, not my, I'm referencing the, the good man over here. Since you decided to listen to your wife and not the instructions that I gave you before I even fashioned her from you. Young man, the reason why you're courting your girl, courting the, 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 your fiance or whatever with your people is so that your people can tell you no. What I learned while being, like, while being engaged was a lot of the stuff that Pastor Martin told me not to do wasn't because he was trying to protect me from anything. He was just trying to see if I would obey. Somebody say, huh? Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. Listen to this. The ground is cursed because of you. Isn't that interesting? That God didn't say, Adam, the ground that you touch will be cursed. He said, because of you, every man that ever comes out of you, is everything that they touch is never going to work. So isn't that interesting why we say like, the enemy has this plot against our children? No, the ground was cursed from the beginning. That's why we can have men that have these big, great dreams, but they never have like, you know, the guts to actually try it out. Because every time that they go to the ground, it never produces what they put into it. Adam served all of us up when he sinned. Sir, the reason why your son is fighting for his life in his bedroom isn't because you're a bad dad. It's because the same demon that met you at 12 is meeting him at 7. You might have beaten it, and glory be to God for you. But if you leave your post as a father and leave your 7-year-old to fend for himself in the room, you can't blame the devil because you never taught him how to break up the ground that you gave him. teaching all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it it will grow thorns and thistles for you 
though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. At this point, Adam was supposed to never die. But since Adam became unholy when he died, he had to go back to the place where he gave all of his energy. God said that when you die, you can't come back to me because I haven't created the way for you to come back to me holy and clean. So you got to go back to dust to dust. So the interesting thing about it is that when Jesus comes and he dies and he, you know, he dies on the cross and he sprinkles his blood on the mercy seat and the veil is torn, we have the opportunity to not go dust to dust, but go dust back to spirit. It should be ashes to ashes and dust back to the maker. We don't return to the dust. This does, but the spirit of who you are goes back. When your son falls, do they feel like they have to bury themselves or can their spirit return to you? Do you bury your children? When they fail? Or do you bring them back to life and call their spirit back to Genesis? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. As you're sitting here with the bottle in your hand, as you're sitting here with the needle in your arm, I'm not going to do the eulogy and bury you in the ground six feet under. What I'm going to do is allow these ashes to go to ash, but I'm going to allow your soul to return to the Father, the one that made you. I don't care if you're 14, 44, 84. I don't care if I'm dead in my grave. I want to tell you something. I want you to zoom in. If I ever fall, I want you to go dig up a grave next to my Father. Don't dig him up, but lay me as close as you can to him so I can recatch the soul that came from my Father. If we begin to throw our children away, we can't be upset with them when they're addicts at 30 because they couldn't come to us when they were 13. Part two, Pastor Martin might teach it. You buried your son. How can you expect to him for him to be fruitful? You took his body, broke it down and put it in the ground. When Jesus died, the reason why they couldn't bury him in the ground because the ground was cursed. You can't bury the most amazing thing known to man in the ground. It had to return back to the Father. But when he did, the blood that was shed on Calvary allowed us not to have to go into the ground but go back to the Father. I'm moving on. Stop. I'm teaching. By the sweat of your brow, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made? For you were made from dust, and to the dust you will return. But that's not for you because now we have the opportunity through being sanctified through his grace and through his mercy by joining with him in faith. We get to go back to the father. Somebody type out, I'm going back to the father. Like don't bury me in the ground. Don't cremate me and put me in no ocean because the ocean didn't create me. Don't cremate me and throw me out into the wind. The wind was created by the God that created me. Put me back in the womb of God. (laughs) We lose access to the resources from heaven when we fall out of alignment. It is impossible to regain the tools of the kingdom without repenting first. You can't do parenting for 15 years. I can't be a child for 15 years, living my life all wild and outside and just come back to the crib for Sunday dinner. There's a step in a process I have to do to be put back in right standing. That's the reason why God couldn't just come and wrap his arms around him. He had to send somebody to die. Look at your neighbor. Write it out. Zoom in on my face, Mr. Cryer. If you want to do family correctly, somebody's going to have to die. Hear me. Somebody's going to have to sacrifice their life, their dreams, everything that you thought, and they're going to have to lay horizontally on the ground and have to say to God, God, this is what it is. I will be the sacrifice for my family to have another opportunity with you. I'll do it. The Word of God even says that you can intercede on the behalf of those that are dead. You can't change their heart posture because of the decisions that they made, but you can make sure that your family's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life based off of somebody in your life saying, you know what? I've been trying to do it without the tools for a long time. I'm just going to repent and give my life back to you, Christ, so I can get back to access in the tools. Because family works perfectly in the kingdom. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, they fell out of covenant with God. They are kicked out of heaven because they are no longer holy. Look at your neighbor and say, we didn't ask to be here. Point three. Parenting is only as good, I'm sorry, point point number four, we inherit what we purchase. Adam paid the ultimate price of having the ground be cursed. 
We're about to jump into the end of the story because everybody talks about Genesis 1.26 and we love it, but we never talk about how Adam and Eve, people ask, like, where do these mystery children come from? Because God told them to subdue, have dominion, and multiply in Eden. That didn't mean that once they were kicked out of heaven that they weren't called back to the purpose that God gave them. It just meant that they were going to have to work harder to make it happen. We inherit what we purchase. Let's go to Genesis 4, 1 through 12. Afterwards, Adam and Eve, they find each other. They know each other. That's what it says in the word, which means that they come together to have a baby, teach your children the anatomy. We're not going to do that here. We're just a supplement. You teach them at home. They come together. She gets pregnant. And this is where we're jumping into the first verse. When she gave birth to who? Cain. She said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. False. You have produced a child. She didn't even know what to look at him because she was never supposed to know immaturity. Adam wasn't immature. Adam was a man. So now she thought that everything that resembled Adam was a man. Sir, your two-year-old is not a man. Ma'am, because your husband left, your five-year-old, seven-year-old does not become the man of the house. You have now brought him up to a level. You've brought him from K-5 to a PhD with none of the hours. You know, I was the man of the house since 12. That's impossible. You, no boy gets to call themselves a man. You got to put in the work until a man of great stature looks at me, looks at you and says, hey, that's a man right there. And you grown now. That's when you go from getting whoopings from your dad, Chad, to your dad throwing hands. Oh, I'm a man now. Okay, let me, let me get this right. <laughs> When she gave birth to Cain, she said, wow, this is a man, not a man. Also, your daughters are not women. My mom used to <laughs> tell these women in the mall, she didn't even know these people, get that makeup off her face. She's 12. And moms would get really upset. But my mom comes from an era where women were able to look at a woman's gait and be able to tell that you've experienced a little bit too much. Oh, I feel a chill. When they grew up. She has Cain and Abel, who is Cain's brother. Cain came out first, so he's the firstborn. The firstborn usually inherits the curse of the father. The stuff that Adam didn't defeat, the birthright of the firstborn is the curse of the father. Because Adam had nothing to give Cain, he had to give him what he received, which was cursed ground. So Cain, from the jump, started out, not at the starting line, he started out in the parking lot, not even knowing that they were about to pull the trigger. So instantaneously, humankind is thrown back a millennia. We went from being in right standing, Holy Spirit, somebody's getting free. Sir, you are 35 years old, feeling like you're behind. You are, but it's not your fault. It's your responsibility to move forward, but it's not your fault. I'm not creating Adam as the guy that's the fall guy or the excuse, but because of the fact that Adam wasn't in right standing with God, you can't be out of order with God and give them the promises of God. That's why you can have children in the house that we pray, we have faith, but I don't believe in Christ. It's because of the fact that there's a broken relationship that they didn't start. It started with you. You can't expect for your children. My parents cannot expect me to be as on fire for Christ if they weren't as on fire. Okay, let me get you free. Let's, let's get you free, okay? Let, let's do some surgery. Here we go. Underline this. Verse 3. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. Shep Abel, the secondborn, received the good gifts that God gave Adam. Remember what he told Adam? He said, Adam, I want you to name the animals, name all the vegetation, and that's the part that God loved because that's what he gave him. Abel got the goodness of Adam and the goodness in the character of God. Cain got the curse. Sometimes your children are good and bad, not because it's in their spirit, but it's just because inherently they, we don't know which one is going to run for Christ and which one's going to have a harder time. It doesn't mean that the one that's going to have a harder time you throw away. It just means that Adam actually should have sat down with Cain before he put him out in the field. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Where does Cain from? The ground. That's where he works. He works in the ground, the ground that was cursed by his father. So God told Adam, you're going to work in this ground. You're not going to get anything. He never talks with Cain. So Cain is sitting there trying to figure out why am I trying all this stuff and it's never working. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from the flock. The Lord did what? 
accepted Abel and his gift. You don't give so God loves your gift. You give so that God loves you. Giving, the first sacrifice that we give in praise, offering, and tithe is ourself. Everything else is a gift. Look at your neighbor say, be obedient. The best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But, somebody say but. He did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry. And he looked what? Dejected. Dejected means to be depressed in spirits, disheartened or low spirited. Cain instantaneously at that moment, y'all, instantaneously at that moment, he began to feel how his father feel when he ate the fruit. But he had no reference because he never ate the fruit. Some of the stuff that your son is going through, he's feeling your pain, but he never did what you did. Because he has inherited what you paid the price for. Cain worked the ground his father received. He says, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. And listen to this. He says, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But I want to jump down to verse number nine. Because I think that Cain is asking this question that I think a lot of parents and a lot of kids are asking. Cain, afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? Because Cain ends up killing his brother because he's so upset. Cain is so frustrated. And God tells him, if you do the right thing, I'll accept you. Cain doesn't know how to do the right thing because his father never taught him. So he goes with what's on the gut feeling on the inside. And he kills his brother. So God says, hey, where's your brother? And Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? I think that Cain wasn't asking, am I my brother's guardian? I think Cain was really asking, who was supposed to teach me how to take care of my brother? I've never, I've never taken care of another human before. The ground that you gave me is cursed. I don't even know what a curse is. I don't even know who I am. But like you put me out here, then you demand that I give you tithes and offering. You, just, you demand that I follow you. And I don't even know what I'm doing it for. And the, un, the funny thing about in the kingdom, it's not about what you do. What is it, Kylan? It's how. So the question is, is that you can give, you can tithe, you can go through counseling with people that you didn't choose from your tribe, but other people that would just tell you yes anyway. So you can do all those things and do it correctly. And that went over the head. You can do all those things correctly and then still end up with a jacked up life because it was about where was your heart posture were you giving the tithe and were you giving me the 10% because you loved me or because you were fearful of what would happen if you did it so Cain is left to his own fiddles <laughs> Cain is left to literally defend himself and we'll teach messages on how terrible Cain was we well, damned be Cain he should go back to, to the place that he came from but we never remember that Cain was never taught anything else the minute that Adam and Eve were kicked out of, the, out of, 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 e, of uh, Eden, they should have had a powwow. There should have been a conversation that started like this. Hey, the game has changed. Before, we were able to produce without the works of our hands, and it was all God. Now we're going to have to realign our marriage vows because it's not until life do us part. Now we're going to die. So that means that... So now that means that our gate is going to have to change. So before we have these kids, we should probably figure out what does the ground being cursed mean? Like, like when does it rain? Like, what does the ground need? What type of soil is it? So if I plant corn in this ground, will it work or won't it work? But the problem is, is that Cain, I'm sorry, I'm sorry Adam and Eve decided to skip all of the premarital steps, get married and have babies, and then ask why their house was in hellfire. The house is on fire! Yeah, we, we know. You didn't install the sprinkler system that we were going to tell you about in week two of your counseling. How are you going to get upset with me, son, about your house burning down and you skip the instructions? So now Cain is receiving. I feel the Holy Ghost on this thing. So now Cain is now receiving what his father paid for. He has now inherited the addiction to pornography. He has inherited inherited the, the, the anger on the inside and put his hand on women. Do you think that every man that puts his hands on women is really a monster or is it that that's all he saw? This is how I deal with my issues. And in his head, he thinks he's doing it right. But his father never sat down with him and said, you know what, son, the reason why I put my hands on your mom and I was wrong and we're, not, we're divorced and we're not together anymore is because my dad used to put his hands on my mom and I feel exactly how you feel. And now instead of you actually going and putting your hands on this little, like your sister or touching them in the wrong way, let me put you in boxing or kickboxing. Matter of fact, you know what we can do, Floyd Mayweather? 
I'm going to go buy some gloves and I'm going to go buy a vest. And instead of putting your hands on your mama, put your hands on me. And then what we're going to do is we're going to create a dynasty where nobody can beat you. And they're going to talk about your technique and think that you're cheating. But every time that you go to the cameras and they start to flash and people think you're a cheat, just come back home. But we throw our kids away. Once an addict, always an addict. You look just like your father. So that gives you a reason to throw. You know how his father ended up. So you're just going to toss him to the wolves? You're going to send him to a woman on a screen that never says no and does everything that he wants and begins to distort his view of how women should be treated? So Pastor Martin, can you help me really quick? And then I'm going to, I'm going to run through these points. And tune in because we're going to talk about this on Wednesday. Is this good? I hope this is good. I hope this is good. So Cain asks this question. He says, am I my brother's guardian? So there's stuff that Pastor Martin... That today. Has to be a part two. Yeah. Pastor Martin, in his life, experienced stuff that I'll never know about, but I'm going to experience in my life because of the pathology. Absolutely. The reason why I'm not going to be 6'6 is because he's not 6'6. Unless sometimes that gene will like pass its way through, and then you'll be like, how do you get so tall, cuz? I don't know, dog. Like, you just don't know. Sometimes it passes through. But the thing about it is that Pastor Martin was carrying these things before I was here, Right? So this is just going to be descriptors. Like, this is just an illustration. So I, I, want you, I want you to stay with me. Can you move over a little bit, Pastor? So on the bottom level, can you turn that box around? This is Pastor Martin's family history. This is where I come from. But if he never passes that to me, I'll never know what happened with Granddaddy in 1925. So I'll chase a dream at the bottom of a bottle because I didn't know that Granddaddy used to run hooch out in the backwoods. I'll never know. So I'll think that I'm addicted to alcohol. Well, really, the ground that I'm planting in is hard. I didn't ask for this addiction. We didn't ask for this. It just happened to happen this way. Stuff that he's dealt with. The second thing that he has, figuratively, addiction, sin, and patterns. There are certain things that Pastor Martin, that my father is fighting, not because he wanted it, but because his great, 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 great granddaddy was dealing with something and he couldn't put the bottle down. If Pastor Martin was an alcoholic, even if I don't become an alcoholic, I have to understand that this actually runs in my DNA. Cain had to understand, if my, if my father could be in the presence of God and fall away, who am I to believe that I'm not close to him that I could fall away too? If Adam was a good father, he would have looked at Cain and said, like, hey, when you get married, just make sure that the last thing that God told you to do, do that. The reason why your life is so hard is because daddy missed it, but you have an opportunity to get it right. Addiction, sin, patterns, the same thing that you keep going on. So when your son is watching pornography and doing what he needs to do that he thinks to fill the hole and he keeps on missing it, the reason is that he thinks that watching the screen is going to fill the hole. But dad, if you were to talk to him about what you were dealing with, that hole would be filled with his history. Hey, son, we, have, we come from a long line of men that are good with their words and that are very attractive. But all the other men before me used to use that to their aggression. I'm going to teach you how to use that for your profession. I'm going to teach you how to use your words and your gifts of gab, not to womanize people, but to lead them in business, to lead them in education, to lead them in this place where you're going to be able to use your gift and your calling and still be cute, but be loyal to one woman and have children from that one woman. And when you don't feel like going home, come to the crib so I can beat you up and send you back to the house. If I don't know my father's history, how can I expect for the ground to give me something that he never got? But then there's this thing that Cain is trying to figure out, which is this question mark. I don't know where it comes from. And now Cain, instead of being able to see his father, all he sees is his problems. I love you, Martin, but every time I want to try to hug you, I can't. And now you're a parent that's like, I didn't ask for this. What's keeping me between me and my son? What's keeping you between them and what Adam should have done? And this is the altar call. This is what Adam should have done. Adam should have said, hey, son, I need you to support me as I begin to tell you the story of our family. I got the bottom one, sir. You can grab this one, this one right there. Because sometimes it looks ugly. Sometimes things fall on the ground. But if I'm a good son, I will make sure, I don't care about getting hurt by the boxes, I'm learning how to manage them. So the father says, hey, son, in 1925, X, Y, and Z happened. 
And because of that, your grandmama X, Y, and Z. And because of that, your grandfather X, Y, and Z. And because of that, I X, Y, and Z, but God gave me the glory to make sure to take care of it. So we've beaten it, but now it's your turn to look at it instead of holding it, standing on top of it. Son, this is what, 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 the, what the patterns are in, our, in my life. This is the addiction, this is the sin that runs in our family. What if the father were to look at his son and say, like, you don't have to be ruled by a computer screen? You know you don't have to. You know you don't have to be ruled by men calling you beautiful, sweetheart. I'll tell you beautiful every day. What if parents started to ask this? What more do you need from me as your father? What, what? I have a plan for you because God gave it to me, but like, what more do you need from me? Because then he'll begin to teach me to this point where sometimes I'm going to need his support to step on. Because so, as a father, you can't let go of this mystery box. You got to still support your children. So even if you're dealing with an addiction, you can't let them go because you gave up that right when he had me. So as I begin to put this thing down, I can beat addiction, sin in the pattern, but I'm still connected to the father. And then what could happen is that Cain could have taken his daddy. And as his daddy started to work on the thing that he's still figuring out, he could support his father. Because even though Cain knew that he didn't know what he didn't know, his father might not have known what was in the box, but his father could have taught Cain how to worship God. Thank you, sir. His father could have taught him, like, we don't know what this is, but allow me to be your father long enough for us to figure it out. I know I messed up. I know I failed you. I know I put my hands on your mom. I know I said things to your sister that weren't correct. I know that I did things that would make me not a good father, but all those things don't release me from this assignment of being your daddy. So you can hate me. You can think, man, you've damned us all. You can think that you've destroyed us, but your father and your mother are only as good as the tools that they have. And this thing right here, let me tell you, it's heavy. And as a son, I cannot expect to destroy something that my dad beat. He's got to give me the tools. But there are some of you that are watching. There are some of you in this room. And you're looking. You're looking at your life. And you're saying, God, we didn't ask for this. My life is ugly. I don't even know. My dad was down the hall and I don't even know the man. I just would go and buy Christmas gifts hoping that he would like it. But I don't even know what the man's favorite color is. Some of you, your father or your mother has passed away. Some of you, mom or dad, your son or daughter passed away. They were in the streets and they were taken by a bullet or they were miscarried and you still feel them. I want to propose something to you. Your family history is not too great for you to stop being a mom or a dad. And young man, young woman, your sin and your addiction and a pattern isn't always your fault. It's your responsibility to take care of. But if you were to have a conversation with your people about your family history, you would realize this is the same thing that my dad dealt with and he beat it, which means that if I'm Martin 2.0, I should be able to do the same thing and do more. But for some of you, you got some stuff in your crib and in your house right now that's a question mark. What is happening? It's not that we're sinful, we give. Like nobody in our family has cancer. How did mom get sick? How did this happen? I'm 60 years old. I'm 70 years old and desire a husband or a wife. God, I, I didn't ask for this. And then you can ask that question like Cain, am I my brother's keeper? The point of this message is this, you are not supposed to be your own keeper. There's a man named Jesus that when he died, he poured this thing called blood on the mercy seat and it was priceless and he paid the price for you. The same price that he paid for you, he paid for Adam. But if we're gonna do family correctly, you gotta take your people and you gotta start talking about your family history. I deplore you. Deplore means to literally beg somebody to do something. I deplore you that instead of just looking at the box on the table with the question mark, I dare you to open it. I dare you to rip the, rip the paper off. It's gonna be ugly. You might get a paper cut, but I believe that with the grace of God, that once you open this thing up, the same tools that you thought that you lost, are on the opposite side of the hard conversation. 
So right there where you are, even in the room, let's set an atmosphere. Because for some of us, your life doesn't look like this. Your life looks like a whole bunch of boxes that you're trying to manage and you can't even see your kids because you're looking through the lens of your sin. You're looking through the lens of your addiction. You're looking through the lens of your family history. But if Adam would have talked to Cain, hey Cain, your brother got my good gifts. I don't know why, but you got my addiction. Let me teach you how to handle it. If Adam would have talked to Cain, we probably wouldn't have had the other books of the Bible. The next page probably would have been the end. What if in your family, you didn't have the end, but you could have, and they lived happily ever after. There's some conversations that I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to push you to have today at lunch. Some of you used to go play ball with your son over and over again. Now that it's COVID, you're using it as, as an excuse not to spend time with him, but you need to talk to him about what you dealt with at 12. You need to talk to him about what happened at Granny Honey's house or Granny Sugar's house when you were 16 years old or five years old at the family reunion, the person that you trusted, but like you're still a man. You got to talk to him about that. You got to talk to your daughter about what happened, man. And if we begin to bring our families together, I believe that we'll be able to go from, I didn't ask for this to God. I couldn't deserve all of this. Like you were blessing my family out of proportion. So I want to pray for you and I want to pray with you. Is that good? Are we good? Good word? I feel like I've done done my job and I hope the pastor won't won't rip me a new one tomorrow. (laughs) But I want to pray for you everywhere that you are, even in the room. Just lift your hands and begin to call on the name right there where you are. Even if you don't know what to say, you can literally repeat his name. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Some of you, this is what you look like. God, I have all this stuff. There are question marks all over my life. My ground is cursed, Lord. I don't even know how to do it, but I got kids now. How do I do it? And I believe that through the power of this prayer that you can start on this journey. Here it is, right there where you are. Repeat what I say. Ready? Father God, I know that the ground that I'm on is cursed. I know that in some areas of my life, I got question marks. God, I know that in some areas of my life, I'm fighting addiction, I'm fighting patterns, and I'm fighting sin. But God, I know that your presence is more important to me than my parenting. God, I know that your presence is more important to me than me being a kid or me being a child. Now, right there where you are, begin to give your heart. God, I just want to get it right. Help me have the hard conversations. I know it's tough. I know my son's dealing with it, and it's scary because I didn't beat it. But God wants you to beat whatever that is. God wants you to win in family. God doesn't want you to have to tiptoe around the crib so that you don't wake people up so you don't have to talk to them. He doesn't want us to have to avoid our families. He wants us to be able to come together.